0: With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at Capella.edu. The legends are true. But
1: overwhelming power. Source of destiny. Yes.
0: This isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher show on the Stansberry Radio Network. So I've got Russell Simmons, one of my heroes here today. Russell, how's it going? Going well. And Russell, you just came out with this book, The Happy Vegan. Before you start talking, because I know you have a lot to say, I just want to say this was an incredible book. It wasn't just like you ranting about being a vegan and every page is filled with facts, information. I learned a huge amount reading it. Got everything like circled in here, notes taken, all this stuff. I'm not even a vegan, but now I'm now I'm strongly considering it. So you're going to convince me in this talk to, to go vegan. You're the second vegan I've had on the podcast, a plant-based diet, a rich role I've had on. I'm not sure if you know who he is, uh ultra-marathon guy. Know. But with every superhero. I have on, I need to hear the origin story. You read comic books that every superhero has got an origin story. So let's, let's take it all the way back. I just heard you on the phone mentioning where you came from, the you know poverty, drugs being sold. What was happening?
1: I grew up in Queens. Um, it was a lower middle-class neighborhood. That- I grew up in Queens, by the way. <laughs> okay, there we go. Hollis, Queens. And, and 205th Street, which is the block I lived on, became the drug capital of Queens. Larry Lucas cornered the cleaners from Frank Lucas was on our corner. And so that was the Herowood capital. And so the neighborhood went down very quickly. Um, and so I grew up and I was in a gang and I had some some experiences, but I, I escaped. What did you have to do I took a lot of drugs, right? Obviously every kid took a lot of drugs, but then I went to, uh, I was a kid, 13, seven immortals. We were young. I mean, we, we got out of gangs soon. They went out of style, I mean, but we sold drugs on the corner as we got a little older. and. You know, it was. I was lucky enough to escape to college. I had a good parent, good parents, and in college I discovered hip hop. I mean, that's a quick story, right? You know, and then I spent time making music. As you know, I built Def Jam Records. And well, I, I, so so real back. So you discovered hip hop, and this is this
0: is related to everything right up to the becoming a vegan. You seem to be really consistently good at spotting not just trends, but talent. I didn't people. discover hip-hop.
1: I mean, hip-hop discovered me. Right. I mean, I kind of meant that was there. It,
0: but to be fair, before you, literally, it was kind of a niche community and subculture. And then you, through Run DMC and other groups, blew it out to be globally mainstream. And that was you. Well, my so how did you, in 19, how did you do it? In
1: 1979, my first record was Christmas Rappin'. And my first experience with that record, where there was success, was in Amsterdam. So I got on a plane. For How'd you my get first it to Amsterdam? Time. You're from Queens. This kid from Queens yeah. in the gangs. What did you? What? how did you end up in Amsterdam with that record? We had a record, Christmas rap, and it got on the radio in Amsterdam and it exploded. I was signed to Polygram Records. I went there, and I was like my first realization that hard work turned into something. You know, I mean, I actually had more in a little small examples, but that was a great example. I had never been on a plane. I'd certainly never been out of the country and landing in Amsterdam. And they're like, Mr. Simmons, what would you like? And I was like, oh, shit, Mr. Simmons. I said, I'd like some cocaine and pussy. (laughs) And the president of Red Company said, no problem. So that was, you know, a revelation. I was a grown man. I could get things I wanted. (laughs) Anyway, um, so I'm out of cocaine now. Just so you know, I've been vegan and I stopped taking drugs 30 years ago almost. But anyway, that was my experience. So that's that began you know um, an ongoing process of building uh companies and so forth but, and but also
0: spotting the talent like then you took your brother and made him into a huge superstar You know what run, i realized realize this DMC. is a
1: podcast it's not like i'm on cnn i have four minutes right we're, we're talking right is right. that okay we're having a conversation <laughs> I forgot. yeah okay so I, i'll slow down yeah my brother came in 83 uh we made a record he was the son of curtis blow the dj that was it we called him disco son Curtis Blow's son was a DJ run. And um, then we eventually made a record in 1983 that was It's Like That, Sucker MC, and that album would run the, with Box and everything on it, and that was a successful record. Then King of Rock came, and then I, Rick Rubin and I made the, the record that included Walk This Way. Some would say that that record kind of... That was the bridge. It was a bridge. At the same time, it was not great for their career. Because it, it, and now you can look back and say it was great, but at that moment it, for the brand, it was a little, it was a very poppy record, you know, but anyway, that, and then we had all the experience. We started uh, Def Jam Records in 84, 85, we made Crush Groove, the movie, and, and, um. We launched LL Cool J, and then after that, everything exploded.
0: That's how did you like? And just in terms of the, the idea of spotting talent, because again, that's related to everything you've done later on. How did you say, okay, this guy LL Cool J has got what it takes to be a huge superstar?
1: Well, King Adrock from the Beastie Boys found his tape in a box sent to Rick Rubin, who had a company, uh, not a company, he had a logo on Streetwise Records, and that logo was Def Jam. So I looked. I reached out because he had a record called "It's Yours." That was his only record, and I never forget it. Uh, it was commentating, illustrating, description, giving adjective experts analyzing, summarizing. That was "It's Yours," right, by Tila Rock. I was looking for the guy who made that record, and I met him. And he, you know, I was surprised that I would say, "Where's the nigga who made that record?" And it was surprised to see it was a, a, a young Jewish kid. <laughs> so it was Rick Rubin. And, he was a part of the Beastie Boys. I managed them um, and then Rick wanted to start a record company. I was starting one already, but he had so many compelling tracks on his drum machine and uh, that I said, well, why not do it with him? And we started Def Jam Records in 1984. And he stayed on until 87 or 88. And he made great records. 89, probably. He made great records for us and helped to build that company from the beginning. Then Leo Cohen was there before and after him all the way through the history of Def Jam. So that would that's that's the story, the music story. And it
0: wasn't just like rap or hip hop. It was I mean you got into comedy then, you 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 know Def Jam comedy and all your deals with HBO uh, and you you really discovered a lot of Comedians that are now household names. Like, yeah, how did you just
1: find all these? Like, well, you know, what's the ability case, to recognize talent? In every case, I found talent that found talent. You know, I've been lucky at spotting. Like, Rick Rubin is the greatest producer in the history of music, not only in hip hop but in every genre. Um, Leo Cohen's a great manager who also was a great A and R director. But spotting talent, Kevin lyle's the president, uh, brought me Jay Z when I was making Duddy Professor movie and said, "This guy." Damon Dash yelled at me when we were filming deaf poetry and said, I got to put this guy on his poetry show. Who is he? He made two of Jay's records. Yeah, but who is he? Why am I going to take a poet off with filming? He said, his name is Kanye West. So I had experiences with talented people um, that I gave a break to gave me a break. So that's really what it's been. It's been my ability to spot people who spot people. You know, there are very many talented people involved in my success. I like to say that um, I'm better off uh, in a room where, I'm not, where everybody's smarter than me. And if I'm if I'm the smartest person in the room, then the room is fucked. That's my-
0: <laughs> I doubt that, but we'll go with it for, for this. But, okay, so if you're a young person starting out, like I feel like there was one weird advantage you had when you were starting out, which is that literally – I was high. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been an advantage, but you were high in Queens – at the beginning of the hip hop scene and industry, and that was like that was like the equivalent of being in San Francisco in the '70s with Bill Gates and Steve Jobs as young guys. Like everybody in that scene started computer companies, and I feel like everybody, or not everybody, obviously, but a lot of people at that time and place had a particular advantage, and that you were at the center of yeah, that universe. I like
1: to say that when they say um, uh, that I'm responsible for this guy invented or discovered or helped cre- or created. You know, the hip-hop, the, I, I was just there at the right time. You know, I, I feel like what I've seen, the number of years that I've been involved and in, the, the number of successes that I've seen happen, I feel like the Forrest Gump of hip-hop. Like, I was there, always there, you know, I saw it all. And, uh, but then, that, but that then not me, just hip-hop,
0: then comedy, movies, uh, and now everything you've been involved in since, in terms of, like, wellness and healthiness and, and so on.
1: Yeah, you know, I see things um, that are attractive and fun and exciting and sometimes they become commercial later. Um, it's true. My books are all based in yogic philosophy. I've been practicing yoga for over 20 years and it's now you know, I'm building a yoga studio. I'm building Tantras uh, right there at the Soho house in LA, in the entrance of where that building, because it's a trendy thing, but it's something I love, you know, and I'm so I'm very lucky to do that at a time when Yoga is exploding and yogic philosophy is more and more going hand in hand with the new consciousness that we have to evolve to to survive. So uh,
0: I I wanted to ask you about that. Like, and I see this in your book. You mentioned the eight limbs of of yoga. Almost every book about yoga just focuses on the physical poses and on kind of the physical benefits. And it's kind of, uh, you know. particular type of persons into yoga, but you really focus on the whole picture.
1: I don't really see that in many books. Those books that are talking about physical poses or the asana practice. Asana means seat. Then that's a yoga pose, a perfect asana. And and in the yoga sutras, that's
0: only mentioned
1: in three lines of the 185 lines. That's right. So it's a small part. The one thread in the yoga sutra scripture is stiram sukham asana, steady joyful pose. And that doesn't have to relate to yoga, but I mean asana, but steady joyful pose. The yoga asana must be steady and joyful. The relationship to the earth should be steady and joyful. Though in yoga that you that Americans call yoga, the physical practice, you learn to smile and breathe in difficult poses. That is part of your spiritual practice for your evolution. So you smile and breathe in every pose. Right. So that's the asana practice. Um, And uh, people write books and don't mention the other seven limbs of yoga are missing out. Again, it's
0: related to your book, The Happy Vegan, like the yamas and niyamas from yoga in terms of like not hurting anybody, living a a good life. I think that's totally related, totally part of yoga philosophy.
1: It is the core, the most important uh, of all in all of the scripture. There are eight limbs, as you said. The first set of limbs are the social laws, ahimsa, non-harming, satya, non-lying, asteya, non-stealing, brahmacharya, control of sexual power, not to cause harm to sex, and aparigaha, non-greed, it's the same as the Ten Commandments. But if you learn, and, those, and there's seven other parts of that, eight steps, but if you learn to master ahimsa, non-harming, you, you don't need to study any other scripture from any religion or prophet, non-harming himself, And compassionate to the world that will lead you to enlightenment if you live that life fully you will be enlightened so 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 describe non-harming in terms of like
0: let's say relationships with people and in terms of success also like a lot of people are mistaken in thinking that in order to achieve success you have to step over others and I feel it's a very scarce scarcity minded way of thinking I think Jesus taught
1: two sermons one for the masses Uh, Good givers are great getters, right? So therefore, you do your work, you get your money, you pay the Romans their taxes on time. But he taught his disciples just give without expectation. And those people wholly devoted to giving were better givers and were attractive to everybody and attracted more. And so paying the Romans their taxes was no problem. They were success stories, his disciples. So this idea that you have to trade with the world or manipulate the world to be successful is wrong-headed and is uh, and if you look at your own history uh, of success when you have success it's because you contributed success to make money you have to give money uh, you have to give what you want to receive I mean give it by making money you make someone else money you make money um, so it's a uh, whatever it is you need you have to give it you know if you want love you got to give love this is this is science, yogic science, but it exists in every scripture. It's not only yogic philosophy that teaches us this. It's all the prophets.
0: You know, and this now I'll get right into the heavy vegan. There, the One of the first things that stood out for me, and, and we'll talk about all the health benefits and all the kind of climate benefits and environmental and, and everything. But you mentioned that when there was one passage where you mentioned where if you're if you're eating, let's say an animal, you're also eating and feeling all the stress that animal was, was feeling. And so, you know again, there's this kind of connection between you know the emotions of all the people around you and how it affects you, but also the emotions of the food you're actually even eating. Treating a food as a living person, you which I think
1: eating, most people don't realize. You're eating a piece of yourself. If God were the ocean, you would be a cup of God. We are all made up of the same matter. We are all connected. All of what's going on here is in perfect order. It keeps shifting because of humans more than anything because of the human um, um, greed destroying this perfection. But it can't because it keeps moving in perfect order. So as we ingest animals, we ingest a piece of our sickness and ourself. And that sounds a little bit lofty, but that's our reality. Um, we are not intended to eat animals, and and it does not obviously, ever is less animals is less cancer, less diabetes, less heart disease. Less, where people eat less animals, right? Is that true? Like, well, give an example. Like, give an well, area. we have three times the amount of diabetes in this country than the rest of the world. We have probably three times or so the amount of cancer, the amount of. Uh, uh, heart disease. There's no, the China study is a great study, uh, one of my great sources, and you know, there's many great sources for this information, but there's no question that the Western diet is the worst diet in the world, and there's no question that the American government subsidizes the poisoning of America and its pl- and the planet. Um, $30 billion go to the meat industry, and $17 million according to one study, goes to the vegetable industry. So we are making meat product cheaper. So we're investing in the corruption and the poisoning of America with our tax dollars. We're paying for that that cheap hamburger at McDonald's on the other end. So, so how
0: did you, I mean, you go from kind of this hip hop mogul to, you know, this healthy Lifestyle. They don't quite. I, I don't say they contradict each other, but the, you don't think of the two in the same right. sentence typically. But how did you it make the be transformation? Surprised to know
1: how many artists are, are vegan, are sensitized to what's going on around them because they're sensitive to what's going on inside them. Artists, whether they're rappers or singers or whatever, um, look inside for inspiration, and are not guided by the outside, and they're not sheep. So if you're not a sheep, you can stop and see that you know whether it's, you know, first thing the Germans want to do is get rid of the artists, right? In every case where there's horrific actions taken by uh, the masses, it was the artists that stood up. So it's not a foreign idea that the hip hop artists show up at the marches or speak about social and political things in compassionate ways because that's what artists have been doing since the beginning of artistry. They've been ones who had moral compasses that came from inside rather than being programmed from the noise on the outside.
0: And then how do you, how do, you do that cleansing so that you're not so influenced? So, be, so you're saying a key to artistry and creativity is to avoid those outside influences that are trying to program you. What, what's a good first, second, third step to start that cleansing so you're not influenced by the outside?
1: Well, one thing I recommend is meditation, because when the mind is quiet, the universe unravels. So you meditate so the mind can be quiet and it can see what's in front of it. Thoughts come and they go, and you can see the thoughts sometimes without too much emotion. So if you take an inventory as you meditate, you know things come across your mind that was so hurtful, become less hurtful, and you see them sometimes for what they are. And then ideas pop into your head, but you know this relationship to what they call God is can be also defined in relationship to the higher self. The higher self is only revealed with introspection. And so you meditate to get in touch with this piece of the self that's all knowing. I believe, you know, as a non-religious person, but practicing yoga and believing in yogic science, that you're programmed, that if you were to meditate, you could write scripture about ethical and moral behavior, and about what's going to be helpful to you and into your relationship with the world. And you could write all those things. Some of those books that they say God wrote, someone could have meditated under a tree and written that. You know, whether it's the Bhagavad Gita, you ever read that? Sure. You know, yeah. So, or the Yoga Sutras, even the science of happiness. I think of the Yoga Sutras as a science book for happiness. So, I think that can be written. Because you have it in you. And, um, and uh, so that's what I believe. And I believe there's a peace of God in all of us. And that we can tap into that God uh, through, you know, when you go running, your mind quiets a bit, isn't it? Yoga is second. I through. don't run. I just have to add. I, but, but I can't may, do it. You may not run, but you've fallen from a tree.
0: From a Sometimes, cross.
1: yes. <laughs> Everything moves slow. You've been in the car. Yes, right. Yes. That's the way the world is really moving at that speed. But the fluctuations in the mind separate you from that realization. And in that case where you're falling, you see the world moving slow. There's no fear. There's just clarity. And if you could live like that, that would be an enlightened state. So this is what we're searching for. We meditate to calm the mind so we can see what's in front of us.
0: And so when did you start... I mean, when did you start meditating? When did you start moving into this lifestyle? I mean, you mentioned earlier you were into drugs, but you've been sober for 30 years. What happened? What was kind of like a low point? Because typically what happens I, I, is the bottom I, I, is reached.
1: Uh, no, I, I had a plan. I was low point, missing a few meetings. I said, let me get sober, so I got sober. You missing meetings, I mean, and you realize at some point that you know what's making you miss those meetings is you, you're taking drugs. And so I love my business more than my drugs, I quit. Um, that was I didn't feel a low point. I felt a need to evolve, um, and the same goes for you know, the diet. You know, I as a moment yeah. where people have been talking about it for a long time, and I watched the movie Diet for a New America, and that really made a big difference for me.
0: So Diet for New America, well, I haven't seen that. movie It's what a documentary
1: it done by John Robbins, um, who wrote the book, was the bestseller for many years. And one of the first books about vegan diets and talked about, begins with this guy being raced to the hospital with a heart attack and it showed his arteries clogged and how it had clogged and, and talked about all of the things that he had been sick and he changed his diet and he was a big inspiration. He wrote another book called Food Revolution Later uh, and those are two very big bestseller books. So Okay,
0: so first, when did you become a vegan? At what point after this did you become a vegan? I don't know. I've been a
1: vegan about 18 or 19 years. So I'd started out- There was know, something that triggered it or- Yeah, that, that that documentary, but also my my friends who were close to me, my my um, head of TV development, uh, Simone Reyes, been with me 30 some odd years, she has been a vegan a long time. I had another friend, Glenn Friedman, who had been a vegan and they were just pushing me and then I saw that documentary and I said, I'm going to do it. You know, look, the, the government funds the, the uh, cheap meat that- poisons America. It's really simple. I mean, they're $30 billion helpful, but it's, God knows how many billions are made. But the animal industry, the fact, in farming industry in general, is is only in America. Only with the, the corruption that goes along with pay-for-play politics can we have the laws that allow us to put so much Prozac and antibiotics and growth hormones in our chicken. Are there Prozac in chicken? Oh, yeah. Are chickens uh, depressed? <laughs> Uh, Chickens get Prozac so they don't kill each other in tight quarters. But then we realize that Prozac also makes them fatter. Mm. And since there's no regulation on how much Prozac, and not that I'm aware of, how much Prozac goes into the chicken, then there's a real issue uh, because then it makes you more money to give them Prozac. Did you think then Then, eating chicken puts Prozac in you, which leads to withdrawal and depression? Well, let me say one thing I know it does. Eating those antibiotics are making bacteria uh, resistant, not resistant to the the antibiotic, which means that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people could die because we have so much antibiotics and there's so many bugs that are resistant to antibiotics. Um, So we have real issues on the horizon if we don't stop feeding ourselves so much antibiotics.
0: What if you go kind of the free range route on food like chicken?
1: Free range is, you know, there are many loopholes in all the names that sound safe to consumers. Sunlit something chicken, they can just have one little hole and the sun could come in. There's just so many loopholes where they trick the consumer. So you never really know what you're getting. No one is protecting you. Mm-hmm. That's the thing we I'd say that no one is protecting you from the factory farming industry. You can't even take a picture in a factory farm. Mm-hmm. I, I think you might be a terrorist if you do. A, um, <laughs> no, don't joke. I, a terrorist might be a. You could get lots of years in prison for taking photos of what they do in factory farms. You can go in a nuclear facility and take a picture and not go to jail. Uh, you can go in any other work workplace and take pictures and film what's going on there and not go to jail. But you cannot go into a factory farm and take pictures. Um, that's the work that they're doing at um, Mercy for Animals. People are going undercover mm. and risking their lives mm. and uh, in exchange for sharing information on how our food is being manufactured. How the lives are being manufactured through factory practices. 10 billion animals per year, made by any means necessary through rape and any practice possible, So and stuffed with the amount of growth hormones that makes you like a 300 pound two-year-old child, is a good example. And then they stuff you with the poison, the sickness, the sadness, the adrenaline, and the rest that the animal has when it comes to your plate. It's just horrible. This shit is just crazy. It's just, you know, and it's unbelievable to most Americans. So me writing this book in a simple way, because it's got a lot of facts, but my daughter read my last book and said it was remedial at best. And she's 11. That's when she read it. She's 13 now. That, that's, that's really, uh, how did that make you feel? Well, at first I worried about it, but then Oprah said it was the best book on the subject. And I went to her school, this was a couple weeks later, to pick her up. I never pick her up. I always would meditate with her and take her to school. I went to pick her up and I said, guess what Oprah said? Not said, many dads—a
0: conversation not many dads have with their 11-year-old daughters. But right. go ahead. So
1: Oprah's for the masses, Dad. You went to school, and you can use more expressive language than that. So what she was saying about my book—it's simple. The Happy Vegan is a simple book. I only read scripts I, and, and read scripture, and sometimes I read stuff that, like that relates to this book. I was a lot of research done, but in general, I'm not a big reader, and I'm a simple writer. You know, I didn't even finish college, so it's not a difficult read. It's a short read, but the information that is necessary is in that book. Yes.
0: And so, okay, more on the health benefits, because a lot of people feel, and I'm just playing devil's advocate, a lot that's of people okay. think they're not going to get the protein, they're not going to get the iron, that's there's going to be various deficiencies.
1: It's bullshit. You're going to get all the things you need. You can get protein from anything, kale. You know, I mean, protein is everywhere. Uh, The only thing, maybe a little B12 Um, in in most vegan diets, you could be lacking some B12, but that's very easy to replace, isn't it? So that's the only thing I'm aware of. I mean, I've been a vegan for a long time. I'm 112. Um, I feel good. You're 112 years old.
0: I've been mean, around a long time. I was going to
1: say you look forty
0: or thirty, but uh, really. Well, I saw in your book Snoop Dogg said you looked like you were aging backwards.
1: Yeah, he did say I was Benjamin Buttons.
0: <laughs>
1: that was funny, but no, I, yeah, there are pictures of me thirty years ago that you would be shocked.
0: What if What are other if you saw them? What are other things people say about the, that are not the health benefits of being vegan? Like, how do people?
1: That's just some bullshit. They try to feed you that. I mean, no one should eat too much soy. Men could get ditties. I mean, it's possible <laughs> with a whole, whole lot of soy. But I've eaten a lot of soy for a long time. It's not great. It's way better than animal product. But there are companies like Beyond Meat uh, is a great example where they're studying the 40,000 plants of the planet and trying to come up with alternatives because we like meat. We like things that taste like meat and all that. So they're doing that. They're studying that. Beyond meat is, and so is. So, so
0: you're battling the um, the taste, supposed taste deficiency. Yeah, but you're also being, being um, uh, you're,
1: you're, you're being poisoned with things that are addictive in food that companies are selling. You know, a, a friend of mine worked at Pepsi and told me things that they do to make Pepsi addictive, just as cigarettes have ingredients in them that are not tobacco, but are addictive. So they are poisoning you and addicting you to that poison. There's Cocaine is not as addictive as sugar. Uh, Fructose corn syrup is in everything. 20 times more fructose corn syrup in today's Wonder Bread than the Wonder Bread you grew up on. I didn't know that. Right. So there's so much um, so many carcinogens and poisons and toxics. Toxin, toxics, um, stuff in your food that that is uh, addictive—it's unbelievable. So you evolve your taste buds evolve. You get off the sugar, you get off the taste of animal products. You find, you know, I, I had a vegan cheesecake recently. I don't eat a lot of um, sweets. I do like them occasionally. Or and pizza, say. Yeah, I, yeah, pizza. I had a pizza, but you know, not lately, but you know. And you take well, if I eat pizza now, right? And then I go into Craig's in LA, they have a good vegan pizza, or I go to Crossroads somewhere, or even the pizza shop, the Viva, which is a vegan pizza shop here in New York. I go to Viva and I have a vegan cheese pizza. I can digest the cheese, it tastes better than the real the the other cheese, the one that was made of the cow pus or the made of the you know, the bird's period or all of the stuff that goes into making the shit you eat. That, when you taste the vegan option, at first it may taste different. You, it'll be good, but you'll say my regular pizza is better. But then if you eat the vegan pizza for a bit, you will know that the cleaner, lighter version is better. So I couldn't eat a real cheesecake now. It was bad enough or heavy enough eating the vegan cheese, the chocolate peanut butter cheesecake with the chocolate peanut butter vegan ice cream at Craig's. It's phenomenal. But if you eat the real cheesecake and the real ice cream after you've been a vegan and eaten this one, this one, the real one, or the, because they're both real, they're both cheese, no, well, one is cheese, the cheese will taste like shit compared to the vegan option. And so your taste palates evolve a bit as you get the poison out. And at some point, if you drink a Coca-Cola, it tastes like battery acid. But for a while, it tastes good. Because you don't know, you've been programmed and you've been poisoned and you've been addicted.
0: I think also like we grow bacteria in our stomach depending on what we're eating and that bacteria Creates the hunger cravings for those things we've been eating. Yes. So it is a matter of like programming the body, depending on what you've been eating.
1: Yeah, it takes a little bit of work, and um, that work you you do it, and you, before you know it, you are addicted to a healthier, happier kind of alternative. So, a more compassionate alternative. So when you say compassionate, let's let's talk about that. What is
0: what are what are the real environmental problems with kind of let's say the meat industry or
1: well, the cows alone, just their farting and belching is more than all the trains, planes, and automobiles put together, almost two
0: times. I agree with that. And you know where I first read that? In, it was either Freakonomics or Super Freakonomics, uh, where they went into the whole science that basically, if you got rid of cows, uh, man-made climate change would totally disappear. Yeah. So with that
1: reality— Not that um, you want to kill all the cows, but— No, you don't have to kill them. You have to, you have to manufacture them. Manufacturing of cows is what we're worried about. It's not, you know, there was 99% wild animals and 1% man, and now there's 99% man and 1% wild animals. It's the manufactured animals that we have to be careful of. The ones that are born into pure suffering. The ones that are stuffed with the poison. There's not enough grass on this planet if you made the plant four times as big as it is and it was all grass to feed all the cows we make, can't make them. You cannot manufacture that many cows grass fed. It's impossible. It's so, not, not the price, it's, it, it's, it's impossible to, to even consider. Some people say it's grass fed. You know, you can feed a cow a little bit of grass and call it grass fed. <laughs> there's so many ways and loopholes uh, in the system. And, you know, you think people are looking out for you and they're telling you that milk is a food group. How can you be looking out for someone when we're all lactose intolerant? If you're a Jew, you're 80 percent likely to be lactose intolerant. If you're an African-American, you're 75 percent likely to be lactose intolerant. It's true that uh, WASPs are probably 60 percent lactose intolerant. But everybody, nobody wants to put Cows' pus in their body. Um, you know, you don't get calcium from drinking milk. Your body deletes calcium trying to get the calcium out of the milk. Mm. So these are interesting things that are not shared with the public because they're not in the interest of the powers that be. Um, I worry about our government being controlled by money, things like Citizens United and other um, kinds of. Opportunities to corrupt our politicians, so that they do the will of the corporation versus the will of the people. That, to me, is um, it's horrific. Uh, we push everyone to be democrat. I mean, to be to have a democratic process, and yet our demo- democracy is so flawed, so flawed. Even all the way down to the corruption of other governments around the world. So, we can exploit them to feed our greed for things that we don't need. Part of that is the medical industry where
0: everything is focused on okay, what drugs can we make? I can only to- get in a
1: fight with one industry at a time. I have to run businesses. <laughs> um, but but if but I start to talk about the vaccines that have mercury in them and what they do to black children or the pharmacies, pharmaceutical industry, and its influence over. Everything we do, uh, I mean, I you know, you go into a. This is how you disappear. But but but, but leaving leaving. So life. I just I just wanna. I mean, yes, of course. But what we you're sell saying is pills to solve all our problems. But if we would just stop eating animal products, we wouldn't need those pills.
0: Right. So you're saying essentially prevention is the cure, and one way you present, prevent or the main way you prevent is living a healthy life. What you put in your body, it amounts to what comes out of your body, whether it's disease or health or whatever. So, um, you know, how does it, where does the trend end? Like how do, how do we eventually get more people eating vegan?
1: Um, how do a trend? I'm sorry. i got something from Leo. I looked like, how do we, okay. What do you get get from Leo? Leo Cohen. (laughs) Your daughter thinks he went through. I wonder if he's upset that I told his daughter this story about what's going to be in the movie, our life story. Wait, you're, there's a movie, your life story?
0: Russell Simmons responding to Lee R. Cohen.
1: Who is now on my podcast. He's upset that he went through a blizzard to get Colt to in order to sign a group. No, not to sign a group. And he told No.
0: Um, I'll tell you having an 11 year old myself at one point and writing about all the horrific things in my life, I, they want to hear about it. They want to know that you came out okay and fought your battles.
1: Yeah, I told her that I've changed though.
0: They don't want to know that your dad that their dad's perfect. They already know that you're not. Well perfect. they've already read my life story. In general, they, with fathers, they don't want they, they like to think you're perfect, but they know you're not. so they want to know the truth. Little kids know the truth whether you tell it to them or not.
1: Yeah, my daughters are grown. Wait, when's the movie about your life story coming out? Um, Oh, I don't know, pretty soon because they're aggressively pushing for it. Everything hip hop is, like I'm developing all these movie projects in Hollywood. But Ever since Straight Outta Compton. Yeah, that and also Hamilton. You know, I have a rap uh, yeah. verse, a rap opera. So Hamilton, is, a, is that vegan? Mm-hmm. Vegan brownies? And gluten free for those we who. Bacon. So what? Some fat shit still though, but thank you so much. So what happens when you? What happens when you? Go
0: out, I like it, but it's fat as shit. But what happens when you go out with like other musicians or other people in the industry and they don't want to eat vegan? They want to eat at like a steakhouse. What do you do? If you're in Kansas City, what do you eat? I always something. To, you can eat something anywhere.
1: You to, if, but you're, you're going to get bored if you
0: just eat like a bunch of lettuce and a carrot. I'm
1: not a lettuce carrot, dude. If I'm in the hood, I can go to a Chinese restaurant and get curry tofu with broccoli and spinach here. and whatever. You know, they, they got curry eggplant or black bean sauce with, you know, there's tons of food. I don't worry about food. Uh, I think people think that that's a misconception. And my book clears that up very, you know, it shows you how to eat cheaply and save thousands of dollars per year. By eating a vegan diet, even if you live in the hood and don't have the not, the access that the rest of the world has.
0: So clearly, part of uh, a secret to success for young people. If you were to give advice to young people starting out, is a first, what you put in is what you get out. What you put into your body is what you get out. The relationships you have, what you what what you you want to have good people around you so that you get good things out of that. What other pieces of advice would you give?
1: I would. It, I would think that, look, I, every day I practice yoga. Every day I meditate. Um, you need circulation in your body every day. You, even if you only walk for 30 minutes, you got to do that. And, um, you, and you need to, to let your mind settle and reboot. It's very good. Your brain, you can see the gray matter in your brain grow in six weeks. It's a dramatic shift in, in the way that you see the world when you meditate daily. Um, and your nervous system calms. So goes the mind. And when the mind is calm, you can see. You know, when fluctuations of mind, they say, are the cause of suffering. And the reason and the goal of yoga is to have a quiet mind. It is, the yogic state is the same state that they refer to as Christ consciousness or nirvana or uh, Taqwa for Muslims or uh, there's something that in the Kabbalah, I can't think of the name but this idea of union with god or union with the universe to see the world as it unfolds as opposed to having hundreds of thoughts at any given time the idea of single pointed focus on what's in front of you is is the is the goal of everything you do everything you do is so that you can be awake you know you take drugs to quiet the mind um and you meditate to quiet the mind i think a stable lasting process is the healthy ways, you know, to promote endorphins, through exercise and through meditation and and through things that are healthy. But people drink and take drugs to quiet the mind. Everybody's seeking a quiet mind, whether they think by obtaining things, they'll rest when I get this, as soon as I get this. That's everybody's favorite rap. When I get this, I'll be done. You know, you have to be comfortable in your seat. And life's only goal is to be happy and comfortable in your seat. From that space, the universe unravels, and it attracts everything. You know, you become a greater giver because you're focused on giving, and you're not fearful of the world. You become a contributor. And good givers are great getters, so you gonna get as long as you give. So you got to just learn to be awake and give without too much expectation or worry about the future because right now we are fighting for our lives of the collective, for sure. And um, we have to change the course of uh, our process. I mean, we, can, we cannot continue to eat meat and animal product at the rate we are eating it. It will, one, destroy the planet, and two, we will all die of cancer much earlier than, than our dates. That we, so we don't want that. So, or we have three times the amount of, um, of diabetes in this country. Twice as much cancer, twice as much um, heart disease, or more, more than that, I think. So it there's all of that, and we can prevent it. They told Bill Clinton, You finished. I mean, it's in your genes. He said no, and he went vegan, and now he's, you know, not only did he stop the growth of the cancer, but he eliminated it and went backwards. That's what happens when you put great, you have a plant based diet versus an animal based diet. All
0: right, well, thanks so much, Russell Simmons. The author of The Happy Vegan, but of course, many other things you've done in your life. And uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. For more from James, check out The James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com. And get yourself on the free insiders list today.